Should I do an accent, by the way? I feel left out. Oh, you can do. At some point, it'd be good if you could switch randomly into an accent. And see yeah, right. Notices. <laughs> right. Can I do a terrible Monty Python? So, or you could just do a very random uh, regional American accent. Welcome back to the Corrent Podcast. We are so excited this episode to have with us the one and only Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Gorf, if you don't know already, Gorf is a cartoonist, musician, writer, producer, and proud husband and father of four children. For nearly a decade, Gorf was manager of the Batman franchise at DC Comics, where his creations have served as an inspiration for television film, games, and more. Gorf's creative studio, Avalanche Comics Entertainment, produces custom content for a whole range of different organizations and institutions. And as a cartoonist, Gorf draws JewishCartoon.com, the weekly comic strip featured in newspapers and online. But you may know Gorf, and we know and love Gorf for his work on the incredible Passover Haggadah graphic novel published by Koren a few years ago in Hebrew and in English. And now a whole new exciting project we are Proud and excited to be launching with Gorf, the Koren Tanakh graphic novel, starting with Megillat Esther. We were super psyched to have Gorf with us, so we can ask him this season's question. Here is our conversation with the legendary Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Gorf. So Gorf, uh, we only have one question for you, and that's, uh, please, can you teach us the whole Torah standing on one leg? I'm so disappointed. I hope the question was, what would you like for lunch? <laughs> I would like to teach you Torah Kula, the entire Torah, while sitting on um, two feet, which I am at the moment. The answer is very simple. Inspire your children to be Jewish, and everything else is secondary. We want to ensure that the next generation continues this unbroken chain of the longest contiguous history in any people, in any civilization throughout the history of mankind. It's an incredible accomplishment. Thank God. Baruch Hashem. And for me, all of the work that I am doing now with Koren and all the work that Koren does is ultimately in service of that. That's pretty epic. So maybe, Gorf, you want to tell us a bit more about how have you taken that message to heart? What have you done with it in your life? Tell us a bit about that. Sure. I have started a website called jewishcartoon.com, and the message is simple. Make Judaism your superpower. Everything extends from that. My background is that I was the editor of Batman Comics for the better part of the decade, and during that period of time, I helped to run the entire franchise with a wonderful team of people because uh, it takes a village, or in our case, it takes a shtetl. And we started with two books a month and ended up with about two books a week. And for me, that was like graduate school in storytelling. I learned the craft, which is something that I teach and instruct in when I'm traveling the world and talking about now how I apply it to Jewish subjects, Jewish graphic novels. So when it comes to the message of make Judaism your superpower, I'm trying to apply everything that I have learned about how I have translated my skills in storytelling, specifically visual and sequential storytelling, storytelling, storytelling cubed to Judaism. And I totally lost track of that sentence. But the bottom line is 
that everything that I do in this life is seen through and accomplished through the prism of storytelling. That's my passion. That's my core competence. Everybody else has their core competence. So let's ask around. What's your passion? Oh, I didn't know I was going to, I was going to be fun. Yes, spot. Alex. Oh, what's I'm, your passion? I'm, I'm squirming. What's my passion? I think my, my passion, I think, is quite similar. It, it is um, trying to make Judaism inspirational, taking it out of a realm of, you know, practice um, or, you know, just, just laws in a book. Right. Um, I think that's one of the things you know, uh, channeled, I mean, specifically in, into family and community, but I think that's something that I'm very passionate about. So when you're not doing that, when you're, uh, Rambam says that, and I'm paraphrasing very deeply here, says that there is har halicha, right? When you are doing some kind of an activity that is not directly related with Torah learning or Jewish growth, but it enables you to do so, it's as if you're on the journey, so it counts. So for example, if I need to play basketball for an hour to work out my energy in order to be able to sit and steig for uh, a day, then that counts. So what is your thing? When you're not directly involved with Yiddishkeit, what is the indirect skar halichat for you? I mean, I think just a stage of life thing, it's, a lot of it is channeled into child rearing and, and, uh, and family, ah. whether that's, you know, directly parenting a child or hanging out with kids and, and you know, share, ferrying them here and there. Um, but then also, you know. Okay, so yeah. that's perfect. And it's directly in line. So let's broadly call that education or you're a teacher. And when you are a teacher, you're seeing things through the prism of how can I translate all of my intellect into an adaptation that will be digestible for children. And therefore, along the way, they will grow and they will get engaged, and they will be involved, and they will be knowledgeable to eventually carry on this chain that we're talking about. So that's the prism, that's your passion through which everything gets channeled. Okay, your turn. <laughs> he had time to think. I was hoping we'd skip that. Yeah, I'm, worried I'm not going to be able to give anything that significantly. Well, uh, look, it doesn't have to be anything esoteric. It can be something uh, that, you, you, if you, that you enjoy. You draw, you uh, play a sport, you uh, watch movies, you uh, write in a, uh, you write poetry. I could see you as a poet. You have that look. Uh, R.A. writes a mean limerick. Oh, no, I'm not. Limerick. It's interesting you mentioned drawing. I used to draw a lot more than I used to. I was the kid everyone thought was going to draw. So for my bar mitzvah, I got all like the paints and the watercolors and that stuff. And I just wanted to watch, which was a little disappointing. <laughs> but um, I used to do that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, similar to what Alex mentioned, I think, you know, for me, I think an important part is to show someone said to me, you know, it's important to show people that the, the, the lifestyle we live, the Judaism makes us happy, that brings us happiness. Um, so for you, the prism is art. You're a visual learner. You see things visually. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think so, yeah. Okay, and that's a big part of, uh, of what my personal mission is, and that is to uh, run, if you would, a, a yeshiva of visual learning. Because I, it, this, is, this is very uh, simplified, but in my view, there are two ways that people learn. They learn by rote or they learn visually. If they learn mm. by rote, then they're able to take texts and then spit it back to you in a multiple choice question test or, or way. The other way to learn it is that you are envisioning, you're picturing what you are reading. So mm. for me, for example, when I have to, for, for those who are unfamiliar, 
it, but I think most of our listeners are, when you look at an actual Sefer Torah, it's columns of words with very few breaks. There's no punctuation. Right. There's no cantillation. There's no trop. Therefore, when you chant your bar mitzvah, par- parsha, you are memorizing. So there are two ways to memorize. One is that you are applying, and one way is by rote. In my case, I have to apply because I can't do it by rote. I don't think that way. I see the page. So what I'm doing is I'm picturing the page that I learned from, and then I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not even reading so much as I'm envisioning while the Sefer Torah, the Torah scroll is in front of me, and I'm supposed to be chanting for my bar mitzvah or whatever. And if... Somebody takes a Torah, a Torah scroll out that looks different than the book that I practiced in, forget it. It's all over. I can't do it because I have this picture in my mind and this picture doesn't match with that picture. Yeah. So that's a very simplified way of saying when you're looking at the world, you're looking at the world as a painting. Yeah. And for you, it's coming alive with perhaps vibrant colors or interesting, um, uh, in, interesting visions. Uh, I'm having a hard time uh, getting into your head specifically because I don't know exactly what kind of art you do, but when you are doing the when when you are engaged in the Jewish connection, that's your road in. So for you, it's education. For you, it's going to be visualizing. Now I was going to ask, I, I guess, to, to to build on what you said, but also to kind of ask the question that everyone wants me to ask, which is how. Going, you mentioned before very briefly in terms of um, your work at DC on Batman. Everyone wants to hear about Batman. Let's 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 talk about that, right? So, when you were working for ten years in Batman, you worked on um, No Man's Land and Birds of Prey. For you, thinking about that original point of um, uh, I- um, inspiring the next generation of Jewish children to love their Judaism. For you, was that the Scha Halicha to get you to where you are now? Or was there an inherent value or do you think inherent contribution you felt like you were doing then to that goal? That's a great question. Very well phrased. Uh, I think there's it's a two-part answer. Part one is the direct answer, which is I think it was Schar Halicha Bidiyeved. So in other words, I realize in hindsight that what I was doing was leading to this point that was it was arming me with the skills that I needed in order to be able to do the work that I'm doing now on the uh, Korentanach graphic novel series. But the second part of the answer is that I also realized that I was infusing the work that I was doing on the Batman franchise with Judeo concepts. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again right now, the No Man's Land storyline is directly adapted from the basic plot of a story from Sefer Breshit from Genesis. Mm -hmm. And uh, elsewhere, I reveal what that is. But here, I feel like, let's challenge the readers a little bit. Go watch The Dark Knight Rises or go read No Man's Land, uh, from which it was uh, partially adapted or certainly inspired, and decide for yourself which story or stories do you think inspired or were the basis for this major motion picture that earned one point. $2 billion in box office or whatever it was. And the interesting thing is I was speaking at a yeshiva yesterday, I think it was two days ago, something like that. And when I asked the question, when I put the question out there, I got many more answers than I expected. And it turns out that all of this Jewish knowledge that we're receiving, it seeps in. Right. When you internalize it, it therefore 
affects your work and the way that you engage with the world in surprising ways. Sometimes it takes other people to point it out to you. I think as well, if we can like drill down further into, first of all, the, the project you're working on with us now, um, the Crime to Death graphic novel series line. Um, but you, the first project you did with us, uh, I think three years ago now, more or less. More or um, less. When it came came out, but you're working on it uh, for much longer before that, which was the graphic, uh, the Passover Haggadah graphic novel, which has taken the world by storm. It, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's certainly now a, a Pesach staple um, in our home. And ironically, um, it's not stapled. It's not a comic book. It's <laughs> saddle, sit, st- <laughs> saddle stitched like a proper graphic novel. But yes, go ahead. Um, and I think there's there's you know, anyone who has led a Seder, anyone who's who's really sort of paid attention during uh, a Pesach Seder, um, thinks about, you know, what's the best way to to get through Mugged, essentially. You know, th- th- we've had the first cup of wine and... We've done a bit of the dipping in this. We've done Manish Tana, but now we've got to get through this long, boring bit uh, until we can eat. And the uh, Haggadah graphic novel um, certainly it engages children, it engages adults just visually. And then once you look at each uh, frame, you know, there, there's so much to learn in, in each sort of illustration. Um, you, you spoke about how, you know, your time at Batman was the Schar Halicha Bidiyevet. In hindsight, you, you saw that that was preparing you uh, to do what you're doing now. Um, could you tell us a bit more about sort of your process, whether it's the Haggadah, whether it's the the new Megillah Esther, um, or the upcoming uh, volumes in the uh, Tanakh graphic novel series? What what is your process? What what's your overarching uh, sort of Jewish goal, I suppose, when you are designing a character, when you're designing a scene, when you're designing whatever it is that's going to be on the page? Um, what sort of Jewish messages are you? Are you working with what are the ones you're trying to impart onto the page and what are the ones that you hope um, the reader picks up on? Great. There's a lot there. I'm going to try to remember everything. So my process, let's start with that. First, I panic. <laughs> and uh, then after I, what was the uh, the show or the movie where the, the tagline was don't panic? Was that Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Right. So then I grab my towel. Yeah, Yavin. Always know where your towel is. <laughs> right, and uh, and my uh, fish that I put in my ear. So long, Babel fish. Yes, my Babel fish. Thank you. Um, and it's a good thing it's a Babel fish and not a Tower of Babel fish because that would not sit inside my ear. <laughs> and although I just realized now, that's why they called it that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it translates. Yeah, because it translates, and which it, is the but it's it's the opposite. It should be the other way around. It should be like the anti. It makes things confusing. Yeah. And at one point. <laughs> I don't know if this is going on the podcast. Uh, well, we'll see. Let's see where it goes. Before there was such thing as Google Translate, there was a, a Babelfish online that you would type in things and it would translate to other languages. But it's still an app. There's, there's like a, a language learning app called Babel. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ah. We could spend another 42 minutes talking about this, but... We could, which <laughs> I would find fascinating, but let's, let's use this to make a larger point, just to make sure it doesn't get edited out here. <laughs> which is, look how we associated a pop culture, what do we call it, uh, term, uh, creation, what would we call this here, a pop culture? Reference. Reference, thank you. Look how we referenced a pop culture reference, in, and it led us right back to Torah again. That's my process, and it's a bridge. It's a two-way street. It goes back and forth between pop culture and Judaism, and I do a lot of free association 
to try to figure out how can I make everything that is ancient relevant by using a modern milieu? And likewise, how can I take everything that is relevant in the ancient world and be respectful, or, or I should say, how can I take everything that originated from an ancient world and be respectful of it as something that has value in and of itself? In other words, I'm not trying to recreate anything. I'm just trying to bring out what has been wonderful about it all along using right. the particular prism that I have. And we do that in a few ways. One of the ways is that we have a very unique methodology in all of the books that we are doing together with Koren. And that is we are using all of the original text, unabridged. Mm -hmm. So all of the Hebrew is there. Then we are using a translation that likewise hews as closely as possible to the original Hebrew. So that the experience you're having has as close to possible a feeling of reading the original, of experiencing the original. Yep. But we're bringing it to life or bringing it to new life using sequential storytelling. And this is the first time, why do I say sequential storytelling? Because there's a difference between comic books and graphic novels and illustrated stories. Illustrated stories, which by and large are for kids, although there are illuminated manuscripts like the uh, the, the Bird's Head Haggadah mm -hmm. and the Shik Haggadah and things like that that are certainly mature. So uh, one of the things that uh, is most important to me is that this is not viewed as a kiddie medium. It's not meant to be a children's project. It is supposed to be something appropriate for all ages and all families. It operates like a good cartoon that... You have the push-up shot. You have the, the surface meaning that the kids can get. But for the adults, they can dig in deeper. And there are, we're building in all kinds of uh, perushim and agadah. So we're, we're building in midrashim. We're also trying to be as authentic as possible by... Uh, Koren has an unbelievable library and uh, of scholarship and also scholars themselves that we can reference. So we're trying to be as authentic to the actual period as possible, but at the same time, trying to use an art style that or an art medium that is really uh, contemporary. So getting back to the, uh, the point before, when we are looking at the, um, uh, the sequential storytelling, we are seeing a storyboard, if you will, which is the preliminary process when you make a movie. It's like if you were to take the highlights, the high points of all the actions in a movie or a TV show, and then put them in into an order and have them imply the liminal spaces, what comes in between, because this is not a moving picture, this is a, a series of still images, you're still getting the same effect. Mm -hmm. And that's different from a an illustrated book where you have text and you have the pictures, but they complement each other rather than being fused together. Mm -hmm. So I've talked about the way the pictures work. Let's talk about the way the text works. The text is used in a fascinating, uh, dare I say, revolutionary way because we are bringing it back to life, there's that term again, by, by adapting it into dialogue, which means that when somebody says something, you've seen cartoons, you've seen comics and graphic novels, it's a word balloon pointing to the person who's speaking. Mm -hmm. So when it says, that 
God is relating some new law to whoever it is, and then Moshe, let's say it's to Moshe, to Moses, and Moshe then translates it to Bitzalel. Hey, we're going to build the Mishkan, we're going to build the tabernacle, and and here's what you got to do. We're not doing it in a caption box. We're not doing it in text that's laid out on a page. We're doing it in a word balloon so that one person is actually talking to the other person. You feel like you're there. And when you're seeing the juxtaposition, the fusion of words and pictures, sequential art in this way, it is the most immersive print and digital still image medium that you could possibly have as an experience for broadening your Torah knowledge, engaging with Torah, with Judaism, and therefore expanding, or shall we say, adding a new link to the chain of Jewish illumination and engagement. I stay away from the word education because education feels like, oh my gosh, this is going to be didactic and meaning it's going to be, oh, I, uh, like, like uh, medicine. I got to sit down and learn. Oh, who wants to do that? <laughs> no, this is something where you're actually going to enjoy it. Not to say that you wouldn't enjoy it the other way as well, but everyone will enjoy this. Even those who are not inclined towards just rote learning. I mean, I mean so, so you, I, as you were talking, I, I scribbled a word down, down which you, you then use. I don't know if you saw me writing it down, or no, if you I could even decipher my photography, <laughs> if you can even decipher my, my chicken scratch. But you know, you use the word authenticity. You that it's authentic. Um, that we have, you know, an authentic text, and the translation trying to be as authentic as as we can as we can be. Um, I wonder what it is that about sequential storytelling, um, but specifically uh, bolsters that that authenticity. If, if we look at both the Miguel Esther and the Haggadah, the Haggadah, the, the, character, the characters in there are anthropomorphized uh, goats, um, which is for a very specific reason. Whereas in Miguel Esther, the, the people, or the characters there are designed to look a very specific way, which I think buttresses that authenticity. Um, so I wonder what it is about you know, the graphic novel medium or sequential storytelling um, that allows you to sort of play with that authenticity or to, to show off that authenticity um, in a way that illustration doesn't. And so I, I suppose what I'm saying is, you know, you, you, you hinted towards the fact that we, that you infused Midrashim or Agadot um, into the, the pictures, but could you talk a bit more specifically or are you keeping it vague so that our listeners will go out and, and look for themselves? People have asked me for the Passover Agadot graphic novel to provide a what do you call it when you have a picture with lots of people and you have to identify the people? So you'll put uh, silhouettes of like them. A, a key. Oh, uh, yeah, like a key. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a wait, one, two, three, and then you look in the the, and the legends. Numbers, who they all are, yeah. 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 So they've had. There's one particular page. I'm not spoiling anything here. That is often cited as the favorite page in the Passover <laughs> graphic novel, and it's the selfie page in mm. which you see many figures from throughout history and throughout the book all appearing together in a way that really um, brings the Magid section to a close in a powerful way. And I give, in fact, a whole talk about that, uh, the, the chronology in the story and the, the through line, the spine. I'm speaking in all kinds of storytelling gibberish right now. Bottom line is there's a reason why that page exists where it exists, and it's a powerful conclusion to the storylines, and it brings them all together. The reason I have not provided that key is because of exactly what you said. 
I don't remember which poet said this, but when a poem is done, it's not, it's no longer the responsibility. Indeed, it's no longer in the, the province of the writer to explain what the poem means. It's now in the public's mm. hands and it's up to them to interpret it. And that's the beautiful thing about poetry and any kind of derivative, or, no, I wanna say expansive art, that it allows the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the person who's using it, it allows the- The user. You know, I guess so. <laughs> that's modern, modern parlance, yeah. It allows the user to take ownership over it and expand it probably beyond its original intention. Mm. And the best works of art will do that. That's why we have a classical liberal arts education in university, because we don't want to just be churning out people who are plumbers or doctors or lawyers without any kind of grounding in the in classical Judaic uh, ethics and morals. We want people to be well-rounded. And nowadays, I think there's a, a great drive towards trade school orientation in education. I want to do this, therefore I'm just gonna learn this particular skill. And we're losing, I think to some degree, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal about this recently, I think it was the, the journal, uh, where we are losing the value of classical liberal arts education in our system and society is somewhat bereft as, uh, uh, society is somewhat, uh, is bereft the right word? Society is somewhat- Lacking. Lacking, yes, losing out as a result of it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that also goes back to, I mean, what you said very, very, very early on in our conversation was that, you know, you don't think that way. Um, that when it came, you know, when it comes to the way you experience things. And so when you're reading the Torah, when you're reading Tanakh, whatever it is in your mind, and I definitely don't do this, but my learning colleagues sitting, sitting with me perhaps do like that you're, you're visualizing the story in your head as you're reading it. Right. You're not just reading it. Yeah. I'm that. going off, I'm going off on a little tangent here, but for example, uh, tonight, uh, I'm having the honor of speaking uh, at Yeshiva Rakotel, which is one of the preeminent GAP programs, never mind Hezder Yeshivot, in, uh, in Israel. And we are going to be taking, uh, everything that I do is in three-act structure. Three-act structure is the classical structure that goes from Roman uh, times through Shakespeare all the way to uh, modern movies like Star Wars. Star Wars is the best example. So tonight, we're going to be unpacking, as they say, the three-act structure, and then applying it towards my methodology for adapting a pasuk into a panel of graphic novel art. And one of the things that I'm going to point out is that when I read the Parshat HaShavuot, it's exactly what you were just saying. I'm reading it like it's a comic book. So it may be words on the page, but in my mind, it's all sequential storytelling. And this past week, Parshat Shmot, the first chapter of the book of Exodus, there's a particular passage, Pasuk, that was really troubling to me on a storytelling level. And I'm reading through, or I'm listening to the uh, Baal Kore read through it, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, we have real problems here, especially as I'm going to be embarking on adapting this in all God willing, 5,000 Sukim in Chumash and 25,000 in total in Tanakh. Don't worry, folks. We're, we're not going to do literally every single one. Uh, we're going to find ways of, uh, of, of con condensing the experience into something manageable without abridging any of the Sukim that we're utilizing because that's our MO, that's our modus operandi. Anyway, 
Uh, and I, again, I'm not going to get into the details over here, but I thought, well, why did the Torah introduce this character in this particular way? And where has this character been? I say character to me, but that's not really it. Who this, this historical figure, where have they been? And because they're being introduced in this particular way, are we therefore supposed to visualize them differently than classically we have envisioned them because we all benefit from looking at the Torah as a cycle. So we're constantly referring and referencing things that happen later as if they're a fait accompli. We already know about it. But what if you were reading it from the beginning without any knowledge, any foreknowledge of what was going to come? And the Torah was written like that with the intention that it would be a cycle and that we can build upon it. But nevertheless, if you're literally reading these graphic novels as an entertainment experience, and they're built to be able to do that. I've seen people sit down with the Passover Gadah graphic novel and read it as mm-hmm. if it's a Batman story, which is fabulous. Yeah. Because if that then leads them, the Skar Alicha that we were talking about before, if that then leads them to further Jewish engagement in learning or cultural or, or religious whatever, a, a religious observance, then wonderful. But that was that, that's just a fascinating way of looking at the Torah, that if you were writing this as a story from the beginning to the end— without all that foreknowledge, then how would it look as opposed to writing it with all the foreknowledge and therefore all of the insights that are provided by generations of translators and uh, uh, perushim, give me a translation here for commentators. Commentators, thank you. Uh, that's what happens when you spend a couple weeks in Israel. You're, <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. You're, you're Hebrew begins to seep in just enough that you get confused about finding, do I want to say this in English? I want to say this in Hebrew. Which language? Uh, it's all for mished. Oh no, another language. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going in all kinds of directions here. So let me try to pull the strands together a little bit. Let's ask the question this way. Or let's, let's reframe the question this way. Why is this book different than any other book? It's a better question for the Haggadah than it is for the, the Megillah, but... Uh, yes, but what I mean is, let me rephrase that. Why is this book format different from all other formats? And I, I don't even think I should have said book format because, again, you can uh, definitely digest this in a digital form. The answer is, this is not the be-all, end-all. It's not the perfect solution. It's one tool amongst many tools that we have in order to reveal the the depths of what we've got. For visual learners like me, and for anybody who enjoys mass entertainment, what we're looking for is that immersive experience. I use that word a lot. We want to have something in a world where our attention is being divided constantly. There's so much noise that compels us to pay attention. And at the same time that it is a long-form medium, we have a graphic novel with hundreds-some pages or so of material, at that same time, each individual panel stands on its own as a short bite that can hook us. And I think that the two in combination, the individual dopamine hits that each action-packed panel provides, combined with the sum of the parts, the graphic novel, the sequential story in total, gives you everything that a modern person needs in order to 
consume their entertainment and their illumination, not education. I wanted to ask you about, um, I guess, the chance to reflect back before, I maybe also want to ask you in a minute about looking ahead, but reflecting back at, at, at that core um, call to action point that you said at the beginning in terms of uh, in, inspiring, can you share with us um, some of your experiences or stories that you've seen of um, through your workshops, through the work you do with Jewish Cartoon, about how this medium is proving to inspire and engage with the next generation of Jews. After the Passover Agadah graphic novel was released, I started to tour and to do a book tour and talk with people and communities literally all over the world. I will give, in, in my visits, I am a scholar in residence, so I have specific talks that I give that, or I'll customize a talk depending upon who I'm speaking to. I like to say, building in what we said before, what we were talking about before, I prefer to go to where people are than trying to bring them to me. I'm not interested in proselytizing. That's not the Jewish way. And I often tell people that's the beautiful thing about Yiddishkeit, about Judaism. It's a, it's a bottom-up religion. It's not a top-down religion. We don't have a pope. And uh, nothing against the pope. He has a, the best yarmulke on the, <laughs> on the face of the earth. But we see things differently. We see each individual as potentially being the pope. Everybody's got that potential. That's why Batman is such a great character because we could potentially be Batman. We could never be Superman. We're never gonna take in solar radiation and start flying around and be bulletproof. But Batman, if we were rich enough and smart enough and strong enough, we could be Batman. Same thing with Yiddishkeit. If you are rich enough in passion, if you are strong enough in fortitude, and you are smart enough to understand and embrace the value of what the best multiverse story in the history of civilization, Judaism, has to offer, then you could be, quote unquote, a rabbi, whether you're ordained or not. That's the amazing thing. So I am interested in going to people wherever they are, whether they are secular or Haredi on the right, secular on the left or Haredi on the right, or everything in between. Everyone should feel the passion that I am portraying and hopefully find a spark or let that spark light up their own personal passion. Therefore, when I am doing my scholar in residence and giving talks and I'm doing my book signings or I'm doing my uh, non-Shabbat multimedia presentations, which, have, which actually use Marvel Us clips, to make the messages, to show the messages, to portray the messages, uh, or I'm doing my Jewish cartoon workshop in which I have rooms full of people who learn the basics of doing cartooning. And don't worry, folks, you don't have to draw. In fact, I prefer if you don't draw well, I just want you to use a combination of stick figures and words on a template that I provide. And we learn quickly how to use the same professional tools that I use. And before you know it, we're taking a theme, whether it's a holiday or it's a, uh, it, or, or it's biography or it's Parshat uh, Shavua uh, or any, anything from Judaism, any theme goes. We are all cartooning within an hour or two. We have a wonderful batch of cartoons 
from which everybody can learn and enjoy. And we collect them into a comic book that gets handed out. And the best experiences that I've had, which really are everywhere, from Bel Air in California to Flatbush in New York to very recently Cape Town in South Africa to yesterday in Modi'in in Israel, the, the, the birthplace of uh, the Hanukkah story, to, gosh, England, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting a billion other places. Uh, let's not forget Canada. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere that I go, people are just amazed by how much this comic book graphic novel medium can inspire them. One of the things that is a repeating theme in the feedback that I get is this story. My uncle, my cousin, my son, my parent, my crazy neighbor, they are not at all interested in Pesach, in Passover. And for the first time, because of the Passover graphic novel, we saw them interacting with us, being interested, asking questions, telling the story in a way that they simply wouldn't do before. That to me is the most meaningful feedback that I could possibly get. And I get that repeatedly. And again, I want to give credit to the team. Yes, I'm the Batman guy. And that's exciting. Like you said before, people want to hear about Batman. The truth is being in charge of Batman is not that much different from being a plumber. A plumber has a system, puts pipes together, knows how to make things work, and provides a critical service for humanity. Maybe, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe Batman, making Batman stories isn't quite as critical. Uh, not all heroes wear capes, though, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But nevertheless... The, the plumber needs the team of people in order to make the job go right. The people who make the pipes, the people who design the piping. Uh, I'm obviously not a plumber because I can't get past the word pipe. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about faucets, perhaps. Tools. Tools, right. Wrenches. Spanish. Wrenches. But there's an expertise there. And everybody, again, it takes a shuttle. Everybody does their part. And likewise here, when we're making these graphic novels, there's a whole team of people it may the inception of it may be the script that I write. We haven't talked much about that actual specific craft, but uh, it starts with a script, and then it goes to a penciler who does the pencil drawings, lays out the initial design of the page, and then uh, takes it all the way to inks, where you put you uh, I don't want to say trace, but you embellish the original drawings in a permanent medium, ink. Sometimes it's done digitally, sometimes it's done actually with a, with a brush and India ink, which I still do every week in my own weekly cartoon, at Jewish Cartoon Folks on Instagram, Facebook. And then it goes to the fantastic editors who review everything to make sure that it all holds together. And then it goes from there onto a team that does marketing and distribution and printing and publishing and sales and translating into other languages and, uh, and and then it goes out into the world for people to consume and hopefully give us the feedback that they are for the first time engaged in Judaism in a way that they haven't been before, no matter where they come from, and therefore they are going to teach Torah al-Regalachat by being a chain, part of chain, a new link in the chain, or as I like to say, uh, write a new page in the uh, the book of the people of the book, 
or in my case, the people of the comic book. And I guess for one final idea, like we said before, the whole concept of this uh, series is we're talking about Al Regal Achat, and you gave us your idea at the beginning in terms of insp- inspiring children. So for all of our listeners, what would you say in two sentences, or maybe even one sentence, what can every listener do, even if they're a visual learner or not a visual learner, if they can hold a pen, if they can't hold a pen, how can they take that message forward in their lives? Everybody has some kind of vocation or avocation that is at the core of their personality. Again, whether it's sports or it's art or it's literature or it's plumbing with pipes, lots of pipes, <laughs> the, occasional, the occasional faucet and, and towel and babel fish. It's very simple. See the world through your passion and then share it with other people. And this is the way that we enable Judaism to continue to grow outward, to expand like the universe, because it is a universe. It's a universe of knowledge, of stories, of people, and in particular, it is the universe of God. So, I mean, I think the the only thing left to say is to say thank you to Gorf, uh, Jordan Gorfinkel, for joining us and and teaching us Tara standing on one leg that Illuminating Torah on one leg. <laughs> Illuminating Torah. Or on sitting one leg. on two legs, yes. <laughs> exactly. And boy, that I've um, fallen asleep from sitting on them for so long. I, I think it, it 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 bears repeating just how inspirational um the Haggadah graphic novel and the uh Tanakh graphic novel have been and I'm certainly very excited to see um more of the Tanakh graphic novel series as they come out. Um people should also keep their eyes open. Uh, whether it's on uh, Gorf's social media, Corin's social media, or on YouTube, for some videos that we have planned um, explaining the process behind creating the graphic novels. Revealing um, the process. Revealing the process yes. um, behind the graphic novels. Yeah, so there's, it, there's no explaining over here. Sorry, not, we, we, we wouldn't dare explain, but yeah, reveal the process. God forbid, heaven forbid. Because <laughs> it is um, fascinating um, and also does give a whole new depth to the graphic novels themselves. Um, and so thank you very much uh, to to Gorf um, for teaching us, for illuminating us uh, while standing on one leg. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, Thank you again so much to Gorf. It was incredible sitting with him. He is a a whirlwind uh, and a powerhouse. It was very illuminating uh, to use his words. Um, You should absolutely make sure you get get hold for yourself uh, a copy of the Corin uh, Tanakh graphic novel Megillat Esther, uh, which is available now from CorinPub.com, as well as uh, the Passover Haggadah graphic novel. It's never too early to get ready for Pesach. Um, both of which are available from the Corin uh, website. Um, you can get a discount on your entire order from CorinPub.com using the promo code podcast at checkout. Um, if you'd like to be in touch with us, let us know uh, what you thought of this episode. Please do uh, rate and subscribe wherever you're listening um, and uh, leave a review. Um, or you can contact us via email, podcast at coronpub.com or the usual social uh, media sites. Until next time, this has been the current podcast. I'll regular cut. 